We give you all the viral stories that are just about to drop. Just please, oh please, oh please, oh please don't let this flop. If you keep scrolling, 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 and you're never gonna stop, then please, oh please, oh please, oh please don't let this flop. From stupid songs and dances, all the cultural advances, we will cover them from bottom to the top. Just please, oh please, oh please, oh please, I promise you'll appease our please, oh please, you please don't let this flop. Hey, I'm AJ Dixon. And I'm Brittany Spanos. Welcome to Don't Let This Flop. A podcast about TikTok and internet culture brought to you by Rolling Stone. So EJ, I I have been obsessed, obsessed with the Tinder swindler. You can find a bit of everything on Tinder, but one little swipe can change your life. I was actually going to ask you this week if you wanted to talk about the Olympics instead of the Tinder swindler. And I was like, no, no, fuck that. I don't care. I don't care about the Olympics at all. We have to talk about the Tinder swindler. I didn't even know the Olympics were happening until like two days ago. I thought people were just watching like old skating. Olympics. <laughs> I thought I thought I thought it was just like um you know like ice skating competitions exist like people like they did, ice skating. They, they don't really exist. Okay, outside of the well, context of the Olympics. Okay, <laughs> interesting. Um, yeah, I I just thought people were watching ice skating competitions for recreational purposes. Um, but apparently the Olympics are happening. Yeah, but who I, cares? My Olympics is a good scam. Mm-hmm. And I love a, I love the combination of a good scam mm-hmm. and a good documentary. So, of course, like Netflix is the Tinder swindler, which is like very like world juror type of name. Because I feel like every time I try to say it, I'm like Tindler swindler. And like, it's just they like couldn't not. say it in the documentary. And especially because they couldn't say it. It, it, all these girls had like English <laughs> as a second language because they're all Finnish. So they're like Tindler swindler. Swindle the Tindler swindler. <laughs> it's very rural juror. R- rural yeah. juror. Yeah, it is. Uh, it delivered on everything that I could want. I, I love this kind of stuff. So, the Tinder swindler. Mm, very good. Is a documentary that is exactly what it sounds like. It's about a man named Simon Levev who used his deeply average looks, but a seeming, but seemingly above average lifestyle as the apparent heir to a diamond fortune to woo women across Europe especially on European Tinder. That was his his dating app of choice. And he would eventually swindle them out of thousands of dollars to fund both his lifestyle and dates with other naive women that he would then scam out of thousands of dollars to continue an ongoing cycle of just getting all these women to fund his lifestyle before completely leaving them. And Simon used the same tactic for all of them. He basically... You know, he was on the apps and he would just be wearing all these lavish designer clothes. He had a private jet. He'd be like on the first date, do you want to fly somewhere? Take them on a private jet. He had constant business in other cities. So he was never really in the same city as them. But he was very active on WhatsApp where he would send them videos of him traveling and like fancy hotels and like other cities across, you know, just like all over the world. And he would send like these audio messages. He would be really intense about being like, I'm ready to be with you. He gave them a lot of attention to the point where they felt like they were the only one in his life and they would commit to him. And then all of a sudden, after they've committed to him, there was this issue of a lurking danger, this danger he never really explained because he was the heir to a diamond fortune. And well, well, as we learn, he is not actually the heir to this diamond fortune. He was using the name Levev, which is a real diamond family, but it's not his real last name. Um, but he would be like dangers lurking. His bodyguard Peter, who I'm obsessed with, an amazing actor, should win an Oscar. 
Um, his bodyguard, Peter, would be like all bloodied in videos and be like, someone's attacking us. I'm so glad Peter was here to save me. It was all the same thing. The women would get scared because they committed to this man and they he now is at threat of being murdered, I guess. And he couldn't use his credit cards. So he would ask them to take out loans for him, to take out cards. He'd mm-hmm. hit the maximum on all the cards because he was using them to fund his lifestyle. He'd and be like, basically, women, my, my like, hey, babe, my enemies are after me. Like, send 25K. Yeah. Right. And so he just, like, was using all this money. He, like, made one of them an official, quote-unquote, employee of the the Diamond Company. Like, it was just real, real messy shit. And then in the end, they would all kind of end in a similar fashion. But, of course, that changes as he becomes more well-known for his scams. But he would grow increasingly volatile, especially when the women couldn't take out any more money possibly. They were in such huge debt because of him that they're, you know— They were unable to take out any more money or make the limits even larger. He would just kind of like gaslight them into believing that they were screwing him over and letting him down because of this and putting him in further danger because they couldn't do it. He'd get really aggressive with trying to get more money from them and then eventually kind of disappear altogether and leave these women behind with all this huge debt. And like, I can't stress enough, like how good he was. At this, he it, yeah, he like he like you mentioned Peter, the bodyguard. Like he had this whole group of like people that he enlisted to help out with his scam. Like he had a business yeah. partner, he had a bodyguard, he had a woman. Like on one of the dates, like he had the mother of his child come on a yeah. private jet with him on his and his date and like vouch for him. Like there were people, yes. so many people were involved in bolstering this guy's story. Yeah. Before we get into where he is presently, I need to know one. Would you swipe right on the Tinder swindler? Mm. And two, if you did swipe right, or, you know, in the idea that you would swipe right, even if you don't say yes to the first question, like, when would you, how far would you make it into the swindle? Uh, per the first question, um, I would swipe right because I like a nice Jewish boy. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, I would be like, oh, you know, this guy seems like kind of a douchebag, but maybe I can fix him. And I would, yeah. I would swipe right. Um, honestly, you know, I think what made the documentary so compelling is that I think there's an instinct among a lot of people when they read stories about like dating con artists in particular to be like, oh, these women are so stupid. Like these women are just gold diggers. Like how could they possibly fall for this? It made total sense to me why these women would fall for this scam because like his whole thing was like painting this portrait of extreme wealth. And then, you know, after a couple months, like not even right away asking for money. And I, yeah, I, I mean, if somebody who I knew was like extremely, extremely wealthy and like I thought could pay me back, asked me for, you know, a loan, I would probably be more inclined to give it to them because I would assume that they could pay me back. And I like knew them fairly well at that point. What about you? What do you, what would would you swipe right? I don't think I would swipe right. The thing is, like, I find that to be, as an active dating app person, like, I find it always really suspicious when guys um, kind of flaunt their wealth on dating apps. Like, it's very weird to me. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, like, if it's, if you're posting photos of yourself on, like, a yacht and, like, a private jet on Tinder, like, I'm just like, I don't know about this. Like, it's so weird to me all the time. Like, it definitely comes off very douchey and scammy. It's not my type. And it's also... It just it always comes off really weird. Like none of those guys like look real or like their life is real mm-hmm. or that any of it is theirs. Um, so I would not swipe right on him. I cannot imagine I would. Like it does not seem good. However, 
if there was an instance where I had swiped right on him, I do not think I would make it further than meeting the mother of his child on a private jet where I would immediately turn around. Because I, I can't say I'm, like, above getting on the private jet. You know, like, I... Oh, I'm not above getting on the yes. private jet. Yeah, like, we were... My friends and I were kind of going through, like, when we would leave. And, like, a few of my friends were, like, we would not get on the... Pri-. Like, if a guy on our very first date was, like, we're going to fly somewhere, we're going on a private jet, I would definitely say yes to that. Like, there's no way I would not say yes to that. However, if I showed up to the private jet and I'm suddenly meeting a child you did not tell me about and the mother of that child, I would be like, eh... We're good. I got to go home. It was nice to see the private jet. Like, I that I would not make it that far. And also, like, if I, and for some reason, did make it further to the fact, to the point where he was in danger, I don't know. I don't have the credit score to be taking out loans. I got too much student debt. Like, it would not. I would be like, good luck with all that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, would, I would be a terrible mark for him because I'm too poor. Awful mark. Yeah. That would be the worst possible mark. Like, there's no way I'd be able to take out that much money. And also, I would not like if I were taking out that much money, I would take it out for myself. Like, I, like that's that seems like a you problem. I I get what you're saying about like, I think that it happens, but I also, I think there were a lot of red flags long before they had committed, and I cannot imagine. Um, I I can't I I cannot put myself in in these women's shoes. Yeah, like I, we were, we were, you know, again, in like one of the group chats, we were just like kind of going through at what point. And I was like, me and one of my friends, we were just like, we have broken up with people for much less than them asking us for large sums of money, like for just extremely small things. Like I would simply not even, like, I just, I cannot, I don't know. I just, it's not, it's not for me. I don't get it. I don't think I would even, I cannot imagine I would make it that far. Yeah. But I'm not, yeah. Asking for, like, I, I broke up with somebody once because they wouldn't pay for my plan B. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> like it, why? <laughs> it, 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 it just, like, I, I don't know. I guess, I guess you're right. Like, there's, there are so many, like, lesser sins. Also, like, if you're in danger, I'm not putting myself in danger for someone who won't even stay in the same city as me for longer than a week. Hard pass. Yeah. True. Like, okay, I don't, like, I don't want to have your, your enemies are not my enemies. We're not married. Like, I don't, I'm not absorbing that energy. Yeah, they like, they were all like, babe, like, are you okay? I'm so worried about you. I'd be like, peace. I don't, I don't this is too much drama. I don't want to get fucking yeah, get involved like, in that. it's too much. I'm good. Like, I'm not good in a fight. Like, I'm not about to, you know, defend you or try to stave off, like, violent attackers. There was a lot of unanswered questions in the documentary. Like, something that I was really confused about is, like, apparently, like, these women Googled Simon because everybody Googles everybody now. Like, I Google people. I Google people that I went to camp with, like, 20 years ago. Like, of course, I'm going to Google the guy who I'm dating, you know, who I met on on Tinder. But, like, these women Googled Simon and, like, still couldn't figure out that he wasn't actually this guy's this this diamond billionaire's son like how is that yeah. possible yeah again like i would not, i would not make it very far i found guys resumes like pdfs of their resumes online like i'm not if i can't find that much information on you it's 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 weird and so his when the documentary ends they kind of catch up on where he is in his life and banned from tinder he is Living in Israel, he is his living a, a free a li- the life of a free man in Israel, and he is still living a, a life that seems very well beyond his means. He has private jets and fancy cars. He's dating models. He's like 
still kind of existing in the same life that he had before he was exposed for this. Um, And obviously, this is a much bigger exposure for all of his crimes and the way that these women have have their lives ruined. They're still paying off all their debts. And he is just, you know, he's vibing. He had an Instagram, but he no longer has that Instagram anymore. However, people think that he may have a TikTok. There is an alleged TikTok that exists that belongs to Simon. And it's not confirmed, of course. Like, he's not posting. It's kind of hard to tell because some of the videos He's not verified. He's not a blue check. He's not... Yeah, he's not verified, but also some of the videos seem pretty similar to videos that he sent to the women that are seeing the documentary. Some of the videos are new. um, So it's hard to tell if this is just someone who had access or had been swindled by him who started this or, you know, it's just something... It's hard to tell if it's, like, actually Simon reaching a new audience or if he's, like, um, if this is a, a catfish of a catfish. And so he uses the hashtag Tinder money a lot, which is, I mean, kind of a vibe, I guess. Like, <laughs> you know, might as well be straightforward at this point. And, you know, he's also seems really convinced that the fact that he has so many followers on there, at least this alleged Simon seems very convinced that the, the n- number of followers he has is a, a means of the public exonerating him or believing that he's, like, a good person. Um, he posted a very funny video where it was just, like, the narration reading the overlay text, and it was just, like, you know, they say I'm a bad guy on Netflix, but look at how many people are following me. It's like, dude, they're following you because they want to see if you post anything crazy or get arrested again. Like, no one supports you. It's pretty crazy how TikTok will kick off um, somebody for writing the word killed in a caption instead of unalive, they'll just like kick them off the platform. But like a yeah. convicted felon is allowed to just like continue to grift on there. If, if it if it is him. Let's do straight people. Straight people. So today in straight people news, we have more Kimye, of course. You, you're gonna have need you to keep- you're gonna need to explain this to me because like it's just too much at this point. It's just a torrent of news and crazy <laughs> yeah. shit. Every day. Let's just do, let's do a, a even bigger timeline break, breakdown of, of what's going on. So they've been going through a divorce. We all know this. It's now been a year since they announced that they were separating Kim and Kanye. Um, the process was pretty civil last year. So just to kind of preface this, like there were many months of them seeming to co-parent and coexist in a civil manner. You know, Kim was showing up to uh, Kanye shows for his album Donda that was released last year. Like they were making a good show of being able to, to be a family, even as they were breaking up and going through divorce proceedings. Like it was still like the proceedings were still active while they were making a show of civility. But of course it's grown increasingly unhinged in the time since Kim famously, has started dating Pete Davidson, um, the most ran through comedian in history and Kanye has been talking shit about Pete Davidson. That really set him off that Kim was starting to see someone else and he was threatening to beat the SNL star up. There's a lot of rumors of Kanye starting rumors about Pete in, in LA circles. It's just kind of a mess between all of that. Of course, in retaliation, and we've spoken about this in the past, about both these relationships, Ye has begun in a, a very transparently attention-seeking relationship with uncut gem star Julia Fox. They've been gallivanting across Miami and New York, going to Lucien, going to Carbone, um, going to Paris Fashion Week. You know, it's just kind of a lot of stuff happening with that. So even though he has his new quote-unquote girlfriend, 
Ye can't stop seeking Kim's attention through his long dormant Instagram. He wasn't using Instagram for many years. So he's posted a lot of times um, in the past few months about like begging Kim to bring their family back together, begging God to bring their family back together. Um, He has made a lot of serious allegations about how Kim is handling the co-parenting. He alleged that Kim has blocked him from seeing their children. He's that she's blocked him from traveling with the kids. Uh, He explained why he like bought a house across the street from Kim. And he was just like, this is the only way I can really see my kids. Like he's, he's made a lot of claims that he's being, um, kind of shut out of his own family and from seeing his children. So, of course, this entire feud grew even more toxic when Kanye posted a screenshot of Northwest on TikTok. So Northwest has a TikTok account, um, and it's like her and then also her cousin Penelope, Courtney's daughter, have TikTok accounts. And they share the TikTok accounts with their mom. So the the account is called Kim and North. Um, all of the comments are disabled on all of the videos, which is very, very smart. It's, like, really just, like, mm-hmm. the pair of them doing silly trends and videos to different songs. Which is like, not uncommon for parents to share, like, to, like, oversee their kids' social media accounts. Like, that's, that's you, right. you can argue about whether or not somebody under the age of, like, 18 should be on social media. But, like, obviously the majority of kids, you know, around that age are going to be. And, like, it makes yeah. sense why the parent would oversee that. Yeah, it's a verified account. It's It seems very clear that Kim is sort of the one posting on North's behalf. You know, like, it seems very clear that this is, like, a shared account between them. It's a lot of videos of them together. Um, there are some very cute and funny videos of, like, North introducing people to, like, her pet lizards. And so, you know, it's like, it's just a, an eight-year-old's TikTok account. Like, it's nothing nothing crazy. So Kanye posted a screenshot of North's, of a, of a TikTok video North did, And the caption read, since this is my first divorce, I need to know what I should do about my daughter being put on TikTok against my will. This is not the first time Kanye has said anything about this. Like He has long not enjoyed the fact that North is on TikTok. He has a huge disdain for his eldest daughter using the app. Um, But this was like a very specifically uh, aggressive call out that was happening. Like in the same one, he also kind of shared in the caption. He also continued to talk about how, um, you know, Kim, he brings it up as a legal matter of North being on TikTok and how Kim has been keeping him out of family decisions. But the kids were on the so, show, right? Yes. Yeah, so the kids are on the show. So I mean, what's, very the, public kids. what's the line that he draws between the kid having a TikTok and the kids being on the show? Something about TikTok. He does not enjoy. And this is, you know, I, I think they're, have been a mix of conversations around this, right? Where it's like, there are people who are calling Kanye's behavior abusive and calling him out for, you know, basically, I don't know, bullying not only his soon-to-be ex-wife, but bullying his child. Um, He has made, like, a lot of weird comments about, like, North's behavior and, like, things like that before. And, like, I don't know, just, like, weird shit. So Kim fought back in her stories with a statement that pointed out how toxic Kanye's constant attacks against her have been especially since she is now the sole provider for their children. So it's all a huge mess. I mean, of course, also North is old enough to be online generally. I mean, that's just the way it goes. Like she's eight years old. She's has access to a lot of things. Like I'm sure she does not want to see her father constantly berating her and her mom in the media, but that is just the reality now. And yeah, it's it's just a, a huge, huge mess. I mean, I don't want to sort of like, 
analyze Kanye's motives because to paraphrase Clueless, like looking for meaning in Kanye's social media posts was kind of like looking for meaning in a Polly Shore film. But like, <laughs> it just seems like he, for the past couple of months, has been using his platform in a really horribly toxic way to get like, I mean, this isn't, this is not shocking because this is a guy who's known for his pettiness, but like to get yeah. back at his wife and his ex-wife in like the pettiest way possible, like going so far as to date somebody who like looks like her, except younger, like yeah. a younger version of her and like a buzzier version of her. It's like, it seems pretty obvious to me that every single one of his actions over the past few months has been dictated by either trying to get his wife's attention or trying to get mm -hmm. back at her. And regardless yeah. of how you feel about like kids being on social media, which is a perfectly legitimate conversation, like you just, I, I, I can't help but be completely horrified by all of this, yeah. like even, especially as a parent. Yeah. So to break it all down, we're going to discuss this further and we are discussing it with the mastermind behind the popular Kardashian analysis account, Kardashian Colloquium. My name is MJ Corey, and I'm the author of Kardashian Colloquium on TikTok and Instagram and newly Twitter. I'm like learning Twitter now. <laughs> and can you give us a brief history of your Kardashian interest and the TikTok account? Yeah. So I actually started in 2018. I never really kept up with the Kardashians before then. Um, I was aware of them, obviously, and I was into peripherally the Kim and Kanye partnership. I did enjoy that power couple, but I never had a lot of interest because I did have that reality TV stigma. Um, and then a friend put it on one day. I just sat to watch it to be with her, hang out with her. Um, and then I really saw the depths of the show. Mm -hmm. And then I told my sister about it, who's like now one of my biggest collaborators. And she was a media studies, film studies major. And so she said, I was kind of telling her like, oh, this like real staged paradigm they're doing is interesting. I didn't realize it was so like layered. Um, and she said, oh, well, you should read Jean Baudrillard. So that began my spiral into philosophy and media theory. Um, that was really a process of self-study specifically applied to the Kardashians. And it was a way to you think actively and consume the Kardashians actively um, while also enjoy learning about these denser topics and enjoy that. So it was like this like mutual relationship and I just kind of documented it on Instagram. Um, and then TikTok, I just got on because the kids were doing it and I wanted to try what it would be like to be in a different medium. Why do you think um, people are so drawn to diving deep into their business and, and marketing and motivations on TikTok? Yeah, I guess they kind of are on TikTok. Well, there's two answers. They could dovetail them somehow. The first is that the Kardashians are really salient. You know, they've been salient for a long time. They've been very culturally dominant. Even though they, we've watched them climb and grow, like from the start, like we saw in some early season one episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashian, Kim is like bragging, like, I'm the most Googled person this week. And then Chloe quickly like undercuts her and is like, yeah, because you're Googling yourself. So even that little moment, I think, captures sort of the Kardashian, um, I don't want to say charm because they're so divisive, but love or hate them, like that little snappy moment was entertaining. You know, like Kim's being vain, then she's got a sister close to her who's also kind of very watchable, who like balances out that ego moment. So, so they've always been kind of gripping for complicated reasons, like a whole book worth of reasons. Simultaneously, TikTok as a medium is 
a place of deep, uh, I guess a kind of deep dive. I have concerns about TikTok the longer I'm on it. I think that it um, is really ripe for conspiratorial thinking, um, the way the algorithm works, the way it pushes ideas out. Um, and there's like just this natural virality to it that I find very overwhelming. But I think Kardashians plus TikTok is like a perfect storm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, even just, <laughs> there's been a lot that's happened. And even since yes. we, record, we recorded the the episode um, on Friday, and there's just been like so many things that have happened since then. But the original... What, what we wanted to originally talk about to bring it back to TikTok is Kanye's own response to yes. his do- his eldest daughter, North, being on TikTok and having an account, a shared account with his soon-to-be ex, Kim. So yes. why do you think this particular moment, you know, Kanye is someone who very rarely uses Instagram. He's, like, been off of social media for a minute. Like, why do you think TikTok in particular and North being on TikTok was a, a breaking point for, for Kanye to kind of enter the Kim realm of Instagram and and really spiral out about this. Yeah. So so my in my first impulse, my first instinct was that okay, so the Kardashians were clearly trying to find their way onto TikTok like pretty much when it when it became clearly relevant. Um, I could tell that there was like a struggle for how the Kardashians, specifically Kim and Courtney and Chloe, would like fit onto the app. I think they started with Kylie because she's kind of like for a while has been their Gen Z touchstone. Um, but I think Gen Z doesn't find her especially relatable. So that's a different conversation. The point is, I think the Kardashians know they need to be present on every medium that is being used actively to be relevant. Kim was big on Twitter for a long time, like Kanye was big on Twitter. Um they're like, how do we get on TikTok? And I think they finally realized, oh, the kids are our way in because it's the kids of, of the world that are on TikTok. Um, so my guess, my, my theory might be that Kanye is protective of the kids and he may know that Kardashian strategy brought them to TikTok with North. Um, that was my first instinct. I mean, it, clearly the divorce drama is escalating and we're all learning what that story is going to unfold to be as in real time. But that's what I think is going on. So, I mean, you, so much of your content is like parsing the motivations of these yeah. people and like making it clear that nothing is ever as it seems. You know, there's always yeah. some ulterior motives going on. Does Kanye have any ulterior motives here? Like how much of this meltdown over North and over Kim is legit and how much of it is just like promotion for his album? Mm, I have no, honestly, I have no idea with this one. I think we are going to see it unfold and some of it will make sense later. And that's the thing like about my analyses is I'm trying to stay as on top of it as I can confidently be. And because I want to help people understand and it's this weird line I have to walk where I don't want to become conspiratorial either mm-hmm. or like too like fanficy about it. But like, I just want to show people that they are culturally relevant and there's a lot more happening that reflects how media happens in America um, than meets the eye. I don't want people to be consuming this all so passively and just being swept up in the drama. But then at the same time, so I want to kind of be thinking about it the way I expect us to be thinking about it retroactively. But some mm-hmm. of it we're going to understand better retroactively. So I don't know. I mean, we see Kanye cycle like this. Um, it's been very interesting to watch people take sides. I mean, it's whether it's intentional or not with with how Kanye is acting, um, it's still having the 
intended impact that they they all have as I mean, I don't even they transcend celebrity at this point. They're mm-hmm. like icons of a different level. So we're all talking about it. I love your um, taking sides video that you made about sort of analyzing oh, why you. we want to take sides. And I think especially with Kim and Kanye in this particular case, it's like they're both so inc- they're both like equally incredibly massive in their own ways. Like it's not like yeah. this is um, like any sort of like if Kim's past relationships where she's significantly more famous than her partner is or any of the yeah. other sisters kind of, you know, I think maybe the only equivalent right now is like, um, well, I guess like Kylie and Travis and then also like, like Courtney and Travis and well, Courtney and Travis as well. Like, it's just like <laughs> yeah, true. You know, like they kind of are at that sort of equal fame, but you know, there is a lot of projection onto them and also a lot of very intense fandom around them specifically. Like Kanye yeah. sort of has a whole history of his fans. And of course, Kim, um, has an intense following around her as well. And over the weekend, we saw it bring in more cultural figures. You know, Kanye was making all these memes about this sort of being the the Marvel's, like, civil war of him versus Kim and all these major celebrities that were sort of, quote-unquote, taking sides in his way of of dissecting and thinking about it and, you know, his relationship with Kit Cuddy falling apart and him going after Pete Davidson repeatedly. So, I mean, some of that was pretty hilarious, but I think it's also the attacks are very toxic and very serious in a lot of ways. Um, and with you yeah. saying that a lot of your followers are are kind of dissecting it and kind of going, what are you seeing in terms of like the standing from the Kardashian colloquium, like comments and in terms of where they stand with, with Kanye versus Kim at this moment? Yeah. Um, I see people surprising me because I have a lot of followers. Most of my followers don't are not necessarily Kardashian stands, which mm-hmm. I really um, appreciate because they under like now and then like a Kardashian stand will stumble onto my page and be like very protective and like there's a certain um, like durability that my followers have where they can handle when I give her some heat. Um, but so the, I'm surprised by how a lot of people are leaning like Kim, you know, and and saying like, mm-hmm. this is toxic behavior. This is like, like when Azealia Banks posted her statement on it, everyone was like, yes, Azealia Banks said it all. But there's some Kanye fans that are kind of saying like, he's just fighting for his family. What's wrong with that? Just because he expresses it in like an unconventional way. What's so wrong with that? Like morally, he's on point. Like maybe he's exposing real things about the industry, like pay deeper attention. And I can honestly say, um, like different friends have asked me like, so where do you fall? Like, what's your side? But I've gotten so like rigidly, like in this place of like a, they're such, they're so, I've conceptualized them so much that like, I don't even know how I feel. I just can, all I can do is like, think about it. Um, and think about really how it's impacting the conversation. Like, I don't even know how I feel, to be honest. Yeah. What do you make of Kim's silence over all this? She posted, like, hot photos of herself in the middle of of his Super Bowl Sunday meltdown, but otherwise she's been pretty tight-lipped. Great question. This is what Kim... This is what Kim does. This is how she copes, especially... um, and not emotionally. I don't know how she emotionally copes. I can't psychoanalyze these people. All I can do is like notice the patterns. And Kim damage controls when Kanye's kind of doing like these expressive cycles by being tight-lipped. And we saw this when he was on Twitter after he was doing um, those like presidential campaign events. And then like he was saying stuff about North and the family and then tweeting a lot. Um, 
Kim didn't say anything for a long time. And he, oh, that was when he did the Chris Jong-un thing. Mm-hmm. And it was like he was making taking shots that you would think eventually they would like say something or kind of strike back or whatever. But she was tight-lipped and then finally like released that pretty eloquent statement about Kanye having bipolar. Um, and that was it. Like, so I think Kim stays quiet for long stretches, will do like a very meticulously crafted statement as she did with another story post the same day that she was driving people to the new Kardashian Hulu Instagram account, Mm -hmm. conveniently timed. Um, One statement, that's it. And so I think she packs a lot into that and then steps back, which is kind of interesting. I'm interested in understanding what that means and the effect it has on her image and what it does for her in a bigger picture, like analysis later. Yeah. Yeah. And I know you just said that you avoid conspiracy theory, but EJ and I have crafted... I think a pretty good conspiracy theory on Pete I and Julian. I love your other people's. Please tell me. Yes. <laughs> we presented a new conspiracy theory that Julian and Pete are in cahoots to take down the Kardashian family from within. <laughs> but our only evidence that. is that they're both from New York and the paper mag shoot that they did a couple of years ago. So it's not the strongest theory, but you know what? I'm going to, I stand by it. So what, what are your thoughts? It's a fun one. <laughs> I think it's fun. I mean, I think, um, the, well, well, for one thing, I think that certainly the Kardashian, certainly Kim, but I suppose Kanye in a sense too is, have be- started to feel, I mean, they are very LA, Kim is at least, and then Kanye's kind of been like all over, but like he's got his family in LA. Um, and there's been something interesting about more Kim and Kanye presence in New York, mm-hmm. just like this like bi-coastal thing. I like to think about the Kardashians in place in, in the... Um, in terms of setting, sometimes it's interesting to think about like people and places and like how these identities and personas play out. So there's been like a lot of New York presence lately with them. It's it's hard to kind of see the Kardashians being New York-y. Um, yeah. The paper magazine shoot was super intriguing because that was sort of like when we realized there was there was a lot of connection. Like Julia had modeled for Skims before. And Pete and Kanye have hung out before. And so the web of connections, it certainly made me feel a little conspiratorial in the very beginning. I wrote this piece for paper about it. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, everyone's wearing Balenciaga minus Pete, but Pete's been in skims and they all know each other. And this is so curated for tabloid press. And like, it's so good for the Balenciaga deal, whatever it is exactly between Kim and Kanye, Mm -hmm. um, with Balenciaga being like this middleman between them in the breakup. Um, So... I mean, yeah, it's a fun theory for sure. And if anyone, if there was any way to topple the Kardashians, it would be someone from the inside, you know? So totally. (laughs) So are you familiar with the term Swiffer girl, Brittany? Absolutely not. Okay. Um, Yeah, this is a very regional specific thing and it's also a very generation specific thing. So it doesn't, it doesn't shock me that that wouldn't immediately ring a bell for you. But basically, yeah. um, if you grew up in the tri-state area between approximately the years 2000 and 2010, you probably have heard of Swiffer Girl. Um, now, she's a, she's a woman. Her name is Danielle Miller, except at the time that she became Swiffer Girl, she was very much not a woman. She was 13 or 14. And, and basically why she's called Swiffer Girl is that in 2004 or 2005, she sent a video of herself naked, um, and in one of the videos, she is masturbating with a Swiffer to a boy that she basically wanted to impress, like an older boy. Um, And you can probably imagine what happens. He then proceeded to send that video to everyone he knew. And the video Mm -hmm. went viral. It was like one of the earliest examples of a viral video that I can remember. Um, It was something that truly anyone and everyone 
you know, had either seen or had known someone who had seen or was, you know, familiar with. She was like patient zero. It was the first time that I can remember that uh, of like a high school non-consensual porn scandal, even though she was only in eighth grade at yeah. at the time. And and as I say this now and as I think about it and recount it, like obviously every aspect of this is absolutely horrifying. Um, yeah. I mean, it's it's child porn, basically. Like, there there, yeah. there was a point in the early 2000s <laughs> where child porn was circulating on the internet and, yeah. and everybody was talking about it. And moreover, everybody was blaming her for having done this thing. Um, yeah. You know, that, because it was the early aughts and our knowledge of sexual and gender politics wasn't really all that sophisticated. Danielle ultimately bore the brunt of this. She went to, you know, a very elite private high school and and they, you know, punished her. As far as I know, they didn't publish the boy who spread the videos. Um, and she was known as Swiffer Girl throughout the entire city for the for the rest of her life. And people people slut shamed her. Um to like yeah. they they didn't say like, oh, how horrifying that this happened to her. Instead it was like, oh, she was such a slut. Like how could she possibly do that? And it was kind of, you know, in retrospect, it it was very reflective of how we treated women in the early 2000s, which is a conversation that's just emerging. Um, yeah. it, it was a time when women like Paris Hilton and Kim Kardashian um, and Lindsay Lohan were simultaneously venerated and also really ridiculed for their sexuality. So, I mean, and I can speak from experience because I was maybe a year older than her at the time that the video came yeah. out. Like, it was a very confusing time to be a young woman. Like, you're just constantly thinking, like, oh, I'm supposed to be this aggressively sexual person but also I know that I'm going to get punished for it. Yeah. Um, but the reason why I, did you have a, did you have a Swiffer girl? Did you, did you have a Swiffer girl type situation when you were growing up? Um, not in the sense of like, like videos being shared. Like there was none of that. Um, there was like a lot of sort of like, I, I remember there was like one girl in my class where there was like a, a widely spread and never confirmed rumor of her, like, like, masturbating with a ruler in the middle of the study hall. Mm -hmm. Like, that was, like, a big part of, like, that was, like, with, for the, like, four years where it was kind of, like, this steady rumor about this one girl, which I don't, I don't believe it happened. I think it was, like, a bullying tactic. Like, she was very, um, you know, she was, she was into, like, a lot of, like, sci-fi stuff. Like, she's, like, kind of, like, you know, nerdy and, like, not super cool and seemed like there was, like, a lot of, like, it was like, a way to sort of bully her and also, like, the idea that, in this Catholic school, she would do something like that, you know? Yeah. We had stuff like that. There's, like, a lot of, like, weird sort of, like, pointed rumors about people and their sexuality and, and, you know, how that sort of affected their public persona and, like, how people looked at them and also just sort of, you know, be, again, like, a tactic of bullying for for a lot of these people. Yeah. I, I mean, I would say this was definitely the it's so normative now, right? Like if you talk to somebody who's going to high school now um, or who recently graduated from high school, like they will have 10 examples of what yeah. I'm talking about. Like it's so normative for Snapchat nudes to leak or, um, you know, sex, sexually, you know, charge videos. And schools, I think because it happens all the time now, because technology is so omnipresent, like I think schools know how to handle it a little bit better than they did in this situation. Um, but this was the, this was the very first instant that I remember of, yeah. of something like this going viral because the internet was really like social media was so nascent. We were using Friendster at the time. Like Friendster is where yeah. these videos were like being talked about. 
And um, the reason why we're talking about Swiffer Girl now is because um, there is a New York magazine that came out um, written by a woman named Gabrielle Bluestone who mm-hmm. went to high school with Danielle. Um, that There are basically two parts to this story um, that Gabrielle wrote. The first part is that what happened to Danielle after this huge um, trauma uh, that, yeah. that she experienced, which is that she became a con artist, essentially. That's the headline, um, that she self-identifies yeah. as a con artist. I mean, she's gone to court, um, you know, multiple times for, you know, wire fraud and identity theft. She served time at Rikers with none other than Anna Delvey, um, the hipster grifter who is, whose story is being adapted into a Netflix film. She used to party with Barry Baron Hilton and Skrillex. Um, there's this whole story about her getting in with the crowd from the classic... <laughs> at least to me, Bravo series, um, NYC Prep. It's it's like a classic rich kid scams one of their own type story in that regard. But the more interesting part of this to me and sort of the undercurrent of, of the entire piece is that this, her being Swiffer Girl, like this, this trauma that had happened to her had shaped her and made her yeah. who she is today. I mean, it quotes this friend that she has saying um, her whole cl- clout is the fact that she had this scandal. That's the only way to cope with the pain of what happened to her, in a sense, being a larger-than-life yeah. character. And um, and it kind of makes me wonder, like, given how omnipresent this is now in young people's lives, like, what's going to happen <laughs> to all of these yeah. young people who become, like, over-sexualized at a very early age because of the internet? Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, especially if it's, like, it is sort of, I mean, I guess there is that idea if this is happening on such a a larger scale now, like, the idea that, you know, you're probably not even the only person in your class where these things are happening to, like, in an ideal world that is sort of, like, a, a way to sort of, like, help each other. I mean, in an ideal world, that wouldn't happen at all. But, like, you know, I guess the idea that you can sort of, like, trauma bond instead of being alone in the situation the way that she probably felt in terms of like I know people caring on a wider level I don't know she didn't even go to therapy she didn't even her parents didn't even take her she said she said she went to like two sessions of therapy and it just seems like the type of like dealing with that type of trauma would just take years and years and years of therapy and it's so interesting because I remember when this video came out and my I, I would say that this video was probably like my first introduction into rape culture, honestly. Yeah. And like what it was, because I remember having the initial instinct like, oh, she's such a slut. Why would she do that? And then I remember it was my mom, actually, who brought this up. And my mom is not like some paragon of feminist consciousness, but she was the only one who made the point. OK, but what's happening to this boy? Like, why? Yeah. What is happening to this boy who's spreading the videos? Like, that's an unconscionable thing to do. Like, why is this young woman getting punished? And I was like, yeah, that that makes total sense. Like, why isn't this boy getting punished? Like, he asked for the videos. Like, why isn't he yeah. getting punished for spreading them? And I would say it was yeah. probably my first glimmer of understanding of the patriarchy, honestly, yeah. and like the trauma that it can inflict on young girls just yeah just like opening it kind of opened up it, it it opened up a lot for me and it made me and and I I've been thinking about this this particular story for years um as as a result of that and wondering what had happened yeah. to her and apparently she 
is being charged with wire fraud and scamming Upper West Side spies and hanging out with Anna Delvey yeah. at Rikers. Um, I will say to the Anna, I just remember this, um, and this is like not super related, but it's funny. Um, Julia Fox posted uh, an Instagram story being like, uh, like wishing Anna Delvey a happy yeah. birthday or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's so like you're telling friends. on yourself so hard if you associate with Anna Delvey. Like if you are publicly saying like, like bragging about hanging out with Anna Delvey, like that is the biggest tell yeah. of what kind of person you are. Let's do Himbo of the Week. Today's himbo is actually something of a future himbo, or himbo to be. We're recording this on Valentine's Day, so it made sense that our himbo of the week would be five-year-old Anthony Small, who went viral on TikTok for a video his mom made of him standing outside his neighbor's house in a little suit with flowers and a stuffed animal, asking her to be his Valentine. I love Listen, this so a, much. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, yeah. Listen, there's a there's a world in which we'd get mad at this. Valentine's Day is a gross holiday. Little kids helping, asking each other out. Maybe that's a little bit uncomfortable for some people. But I can't help but think this is the sweetest thing I've ever seen. Every time I watch it, I cry. He clearly spent a lot of time practicing it, and it's so adorable. And it's setting up this poor girl for a lifetime of being disappointed by men who will avoid setting up dates during, their fir- during the first week of February so they don't have anything to do on Valentine's Day. I am also just concerned that he's not wearing a coat. Um, right. That's what you said snowing. when you saw the video that he's, yeah. he's not wearing just, a coat. I have some like some weather concerns. It looks a little cold um, and he's a little boy. But he's not standing out there that long. And also, like, I don't know if you've seen all the tourists like standing by the Manhattan Bridge, like taking photos over the yeah. weekend. Like, I mean, the engagement photos and the maternity photo shoots, like they were standing out there in like. 15 degree weather with snow like coming down this weekend with like n- nary a coat on. I I went to college in New York. I've walked outside in a mini skirt and like a bra and in the snow. Like I understand, but he is so he's a baby. He's five. It's true. Yeah, he's so young. He so could have integrated a like a parka into his plan. Yes, 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 yes. Yes. Next time you you have a five year old ask out. Uh, another five-year-old, put them in a coat. Mm-hmm. February 14th is often cold in the northern regions. Um, but so, yeah, congrats on on your Himbo of the Week award, Anthony. This little himbo is going places. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to Don't Let This Flop This Week in TikTok, brought to you by Rolling Stone and Cumulus Podcast Network. Written and hosted by me, Brittany Spanos, and EJ Dixon. Executive produced by Jason Vine, Bridget Chelsea, and Elizabeth Garber-Paul. Edited by Dan Stein. And original music composed by Daniel Mertzliff.